Now, today I'm going to read uh, Holland Park by Maeve Binchy. And again, it's like my poetry series. If you'd like to contact us, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Now, I think everybody knows about Maeve Binchy. She was born in 1939 and died, unfortunately, at 2012. She was always a happy, jolly person and wrote lovely stories and was very famous internationally, of course. She was a journalist as well, a novelist, playwright, and her novels included one of the bestsellers, Light a Penny Candle and Circle of Friends, which was subsequently made into a film. They've been translated into 37 languages, which is no small mean, and sold over 40 million copies worldwide. So we'll start now with Holland Park. It has a surprising end, so I hope you'll enjoy it. Everyone hated Malcolm and Melissa out in Greece last summer. They pretended they thought they were marvellous, but deep down, we really hated them. They were too perfect, too bright, intelligent, witty and aware. They never monopolised conversations in the taverna. They never seemed to impose their will on anyone else. But somehow, we all ended up doing what they wanted to do. They didn't seem lovey-dovey with each other, but they had a companionship which drove us all to a frenzy of rage. I nearly fainted when I got a note from them six months later. I thought they were the kind of people who wrote down addresses as a matter of courtesy, but you never heard from them again. But Melissa wrote, I hate trying to recreate summer madness. So I won't gather everyone from the Hellenic scene, the Greek scene, but Malcolm and I would be thrilled if you could come to supper on the 20th, around eight-ish, very informal and everything. We've been so long out of touch that I don't know if there's anyone I should ask you to bring along, but if so, of course, the invitation is for two. Give me a ring sometime so I'll know how many strands of spaghetti to put in the pot. It would be super to see you again. I felt that deep down she knew there was nobody she should ask me to bring along. She would need to hire a private detective for that. The wild notion of hiring someone splendid from an escort agency came and went. In three artless questions, Melissa would certainly find out where he came from and think it was a marvellous fun thing to have done. I didn't believe her about the spaghetti either. It would be something that looked effortless, but it would be magnificent and unusual at the same time. Perhaps a perfect Greek meal for nostalgia, where she would have made all the hard things like pita and hummus and feta herself and laugh away the idea that it was difficult. Or it would be a dinner around a mahogany table with lots of cutlass decanters and a Swiss darling to serve it up and wash up. But if I didn't go, Alice would kill me, as Alice and myself often had a laugh over the perfection of Malcolm and Melissa. She said I had made them up and that people in the photographs that I showed her were in fact models who had been hired by the Greek tourist board to make the place look more glamorous. Their names had passed into our private shorthand. Alice was, would describe a restaurant as a Malcolm and Melissa sort of place, meaning it was perfect, understated, and somehow irritating at the same time. I would say I had handled a situation in a Malcolm and Melissa way, 
meaning that I had scored without seeming to have done so at all. So I rang the number and Melissa was delighted to hear from me. Yes, didn't Greece seem now like a dream? And wouldn't it be foolish to go to the same place next year in case it wasn't as good? And no, they hadn't really decided where to go next year. But Malcolm had seen this advertisement about a yacht party, which wanted a few more people to make up the numbers, and it might be fun. But one never knew. And one was a bit trapped on a yacht if it was all terrible. And super if I could come on the 20th. And then, with the voice politely questioning, would I be bringing anyone else? In one swift moment, I made a decision. Well, if it's not going to make it too many, I would like to bring this friend of mine, Alice, I said, and felt her roaring in my ears as I said it. Melissa was equal to anything. Of course, of course, that's lovely. We look forward to meeting her. See you both about eight-ish then. It's not far from the tube, but maybe you want to get a bus. I'm not sure. Alice has a car, I said proudly. Oh, better still. Tell her there's no problem about parking. We have a bit of wasteland around the steps. It makes life heavenly in London, not to have to worry about friends parking. Alice was delighted. She said she hoped they wouldn't turn out to have a terrible feet of clay and that we would have to find new names for them. I was suddenly taken with a great desire to impress her with them and an equal hope that they would find her as funny and witty as I did. Alice can be a bit eccentric at times. She can go into deep silences. We giggled a lot about what we'd wear. Alice said we should go in full evening dress with capes and embroidered handbags and cigarette holders. But I said that would be ridiculous. It would make her uneasy, said Alice with an evil face. But she's not horrible, she's nice. She asked us to dinner. She'll be very nice, I pleaded. I thought you couldn't stand her, said Alice, disappointed. Well, it's hard to explain. She doesn't mean any harm. She just does everything too well. I felt immediately that I was taking the myth away from Malcolm and Melissa and wished I had never thought of asking Alice. Between then and the 20th, Alice thought we should go in boiler suits, in tennis gear, dressed as Greek peasants, and at one stage that we should dress up as nuns and tell her that's what we were in real life. With difficulty, I managed to persuade her that we were not to look on the evening as some kind of search and destroy mission and Alice reluctantly agreed. I don't know why we had allowed this beautiful couple to become so much part of our fantasy life. It wasn't as if we had nothing else to think about. Alice was a solicitor with a busy practice, consisting mainly of battered section of the female population who felt that they had been discriminated against in their jobs. She had an unsatisfactory love life going on with one of the partners in the firm usually when his wife was in hospital, which didn't make her feel at all guilty. She saw it more of a kind of service that she was offering. Myself, I work in theatre, writing publicity handouts and arranging newspaper interviews for the stars. And in my own way, I meet plenty of glittering people. I have a sort of love for, for a hopeless man who is a good writer, but a bad person to love, since he loves too many people but it doesn't break my heart. I don't suppose that deep down Alice and myself want to live in a big house on Holland Park and be very beautiful and charming and have a worthy job like Melissa, raising money for a good cause and be married to a very bright, sunny looking man like Malcolm who runs a left wing bookshop 
that somehow has made him a great deal of money. I don't suppose we could have been directly envious, more indirectly irritated, I would have thought. I was very irritated with myself on the night of the 20th because I changed five times before Alice came to collect me. The black sweater and skirt looked too severe, the gingham dress, mutton dressed as lamb, the yellow too garish, the pink too virginal. I settled for a tapestry skirt and a cheap cotton top. Wow, you look something like a suite of furniture, said Alice when she arrived. Do I? Is it terrible? I said, anxious as a 16-year-old before its first dance. No, of course it isn't, said Alice. It's fine. It's just a bit sofa coverish, if you know what I mean. Let's hope it clashes with her decor. Tears of rage in my eyes, I rushed into the bedroom and put on the severe black again. Safe is what the magazines call black. Safe I would be. Alice was very contrite. I'm sorry, I really am. I don't know why I said that. It looked fine. I've never given two minutes thought to clothes. You know that. Oh, for God's sake, wear it. Please, take off the morning gear and put on what you were wearing. Does this look like morning then, I said, riddled with anxiety. Give me a drink, said Alice firmly. In ten years of knowing each other, we've never had to waste three minutes talking about clothes. Why are we doing it tonight? I poured her a large scotch and one for myself and put on a jokey necklace, which took away the severe look from the black. Alice said it looked smashing. Alice told me about a client whose husband had put vim in her tin of tooth powder, and she had tried to convince herself that he still wasn't too bad. I told Alice about an aging aging actress who was opening next week in a play, and nobody, not even the man I half love, would do an interview with her for any paper whatsoever, because they said quite rightly she was an old bore. We had another scotch to reflect on all that. I told Alice about the man I had loved, having asked me to go to Paris with him next weekend, and Alice said I should tell him to get stuffed, unless, of course, he was going to pay for the trip, in which case I must bring a whole lot of different judgments to bear. She said she was going to withdraw part of her own service from her unsatisfactory patron because last night they had spent together had been a perusal of the home doctor to try and identify the nature of his wife's illness. I said I thought his wife's illness might be deeply rooted in drink and Alice said it could be right but it wasn't the kind of thing you said to somebody's husband. Talking about drink reminded us to have another and so we then grudgingly decided it was time to go. There were four cars in what Melissa had described as a bit of a wasteland, an elegantly paved semi-circular courtyard in front of the 12 steps up to the door. Alice commented that they were all this year's models and none of them cost a penny under 3,000. She parked her battered 1969 Volkswagen in the middle where it looked like a small child between a group of elegant adults. Malcolm opened the door, glass in hand. He was so pleased to see us that I wondered how he lived six months without the experience. Oh, come on, I told myself. That's being unfair. If he wasn't nice and welcoming, I would have had more complaints. The whole place looked like the film set for a trendy, frothy movie on gracious modern living. Melissa rushed out in a tapestry skirt and I nearly cried with relief that I hadn't worn mine. 
Melissa is shaped like a pencil rather than a sofa. The contrast would have been mind-blowing. We were wafted into a sitting room and wafted is the word. Nobody said, come this way or let me introduce you. But somehow we were with drinks in our hands, sitting between other people whose names had been said clearly, Melissa would never mutter. The drinks were good and strong. Malcolm could never be mean. Low in the background, a record player had some nostalgic songs from the States, the time when we had all been young and impressionable. None of your classical music, nor your songs of the moment. Melissa and Malcolm couldn't be obvious if they tried. And it was like being back in Andrea's tavern again. Everybody felt more witty and relaxed, because Malcolm and Melissa were there, sort of in charge of things without appearing to be. They sat and chatted, they didn't fuss, they never tried to drag anyone into the conversation or to force some grounds of common interest. Just because we were all there together, under their roof, that was enough. And it seemed to be enough for everyone. A great glow came over the group in the sunset and the glow deepened. And when a huge plate of spaghetti was served, it was spaghetti, damn her, but not the kind that you and I would ever make. Melissa seemed to be out of the room only three minutes, and I know it takes eight to count the pasta, but there it was, excellent, mountainous, with garlic bread, fresh and garlicky, not the kind that breaks your teeth on the outside and then is soggy within. The salad was like an exotic still life. It had everything except lettuce. People moved as if in a dance to the table. There were no cries of praise or screams of disclaimer from the hostess. Why then should I have been so resentful of it all? Hmm. Alice seemed to be loving every minute of her evening. She had already fought with Malcolm about the kind of women's literature he sold, but it was a happy fight where she listened to the point he was making and answered them. If she didn't like someone, she wouldn't bother to do this. She had been talking to Melissa about some famous woman whom they both knew through work and they were giggling about the famous woman's shortcomings. Alice was forgetting her role. She was breaking the rules. She had come to understand more about Melissa and Malcolm people so that we could laugh at them. Instead, she looked in grave danger of getting on with them. I barely heard what someone called Keith was saying to me about my theatre. I realised with great shock that I was jealous. Hmm, jealous that Alice was having such a nice time and impressing Melissa and Malcolm just because she was obviously not trying to. This shock was so physical that a piece of something exotic, avocado maybe, anyway, something that shouldn't be in a salad, got stuck in my throat. No amount of clearing or <coughs> could get rid of it. And I stood up in a slight panic. Alice grasped at once. Relax and it will go down, she cried. Just force your limbs to relax and your throat will stop constricting. No, don't bang her, there's no need. She spoke with such confidence that I tried to make my hands and knees feel heavy and it worked. That's a good technique, said Malcolm admiringly, when I had been patted down and scarlet with rage, assured everybody that I was fine. It's very unscientific, said the doctor amongst us, who would have liked the chance to slit my troth and remove the object to cries of admiration. It worked, said Alice simply. The choking had gone away, but not the reason for it. 
Why did I suddenly feel so possessive about Alice? So hurt when she hadn't liked my dress. So jealous and envious that she was accepted here on her own terms and not as my friend. Sometimes I didn't hear from Alice for a couple of weeks. We weren't soulmates over everything, just long-standing friends. Have you had this flat in the city long? asked Keith politely. Oh, that's not my flat. That's Alice's, I said. Alice was always unusual. She had thought that since the city would be deserted at weekends, the time she wanted a bit of peace, that's where she should live. And of course it worked. Not a dog barked, not a child cried, not a car revved up when Alice was sleeping till noon on a Sunday. No, I live in Fulham, I said, thinking how dull and predictable it sounded. Oh, I thought, oh, Keith didn't say what he thought, but he didn't ask about my flat in Fulham. Malcolm was saying that Alice and I should think about the yachting holiday. Keith and Rosemary were thinking about it, weren't they? They were. And it would be great fun if we went as a six. Then we could sort of take over in case the other people were ghastly. It sounds great, I said dishonestly and politely. Yes, you must tell me more about it. Weren't you meant to be going on a holiday with the old thing? Said Alice practically. Now that was very, very vague, I snapped. The weekend in Paris was definite, but the holiday, nothing was fixed. Anyway, weren't you meant to go to the cottage with your thing? Everybody looked at me as if I had belched loudly or taken off my blouse unexpectedly. They were waiting for me to finish and in a well-bred way, rather hoping that I wouldn't. Their eyes were like shouts of encouragement. Uh, You said that if his wife was put away for another couple of weeks, you might go to their unsocialistic second home, didn't you, Alice? Alice laughed, but everybody else looked stunned. Melissa spooned out huge helpings of a 10,000 calorie ice cream with no appearance of having noticed a social gaffe. Well, when the two of you have made up your minds, do tell us, she said. It would be great fun. And we have to let these guys know by the end of the month, apparently. They sound very nice, actually. Jeremy and Jackie, they're called, and he makes jewellery and she is an artist. They've lots of other friends going to a couple of girls who work with Jeremy and their boyfriends, I think. It's just that Jeremy and Jackie who are organising it all. Like a flash, I saw it. Melissa thought Alice and I were lesbians. She was being her usual tolerant, liberated self over it. If you like people, what they do in bed is none of your business. How could she be so crass as to think that about Alice and myself? My face burned with rage. Slowly, like heavy flowers falling off a tree, came all the reasons. I was dressed so severely. I asked, could I bring a woman, not a man, to her party? I had been manless in Greece when she met me the first time. I had just put on this appalling show of spiteful, dikey jealousy about Alice's relationship with a man. Oh God, oh God. Oh, I knew little or nothing about lesbians except they were different. I never was friendly with anyone who was. I knew they didn't wear bowler hats, but I thought they did go in for this aggressive sort of picking on one another in public. Oh God. Oh, Alice was talking away about the boat with interest. How much would it cost? Who decided where and when they could stop? 
Do Jeremy and Jackie sound madly camp? And would they drive everyone mad looking for sprigs of tarragon in case the chicken dish was ruined? Everyone was laughing. And Malcolm was being liberated and tolerant and left-wing. Come on, Alice, nothing wrong with tarragon. Nothing wrong with fussing about food. We all fuss about something. Anyway, they didn't say anything to make us think that they would fuss about food. So stop typecasting. And we said it in an annoying way. I felt with a sick dread that he could have gone on and said, After all, I don't typecast you and expect you to wear a hairnet and military jacket. I looked at Alice, her thin face, all lit up laughing. Of course I felt strongly about her. She was my friend. She was very important to me. I didn't need to act with Alice. I resented the way this awful man with his alcoholic wife treated her. But I was never jealous of him because Alice didn't really give her mind to him. As for giving anything else, well, I suppose they made a lot of love together, but so did I. And with the unsatisfactory journalist, I didn't want Alice in that way. I mean, that was madness. We wouldn't even know what to do. We'd laugh ourselves silly. Kiss Alice. Run and lay my head on Alice's head. Have Alice stroked my hair? That's what people who were in love did. We didn't do that. Did Alice need me? Of course she did. She often told me that I was the only bit of sanity in her life, that I was safe. I'd known her for 10 years. Hardly anyone else she knew nowadays went back that far. Malcolm filled my coffee cup. Do persuade her to come with us, he said gently to me. She's marvellous, really, and I know you would both enjoy yourselves. I looked at him like a wild animal. I saw us fitting into their lives, another splendid liberal concept, slightly racy, slightly acceptable. He said, we went on holiday with that super gay couple, marvellous company, terribly entertaining. Which one of us would he refer to as the he? Would there be awful things like leaving us alone together or nodding tolerantly over our little rows? That evening, and not only the evening, stretched ahead in horror. Alice had been laying into the wine. Would she be able to drive? If not, oh God, would they offer us a double bed and some spare room in this mansion? Would they suggest to taxi home to Fulham, since my place was nearer? Would they speculate afterwards why we kept two separate apartments in the first place? Worse, would I ever be able to laugh with Alice about it, or was it too important? I might disgust her, alarm her, turn her against me. I might unleash all kinds of love that she had for me deep down, and how would I handle that? Of course I loved Alice. I just didn't realise it. But what, what poor unfortunate lover in the history of the whole damn thing had ever had a tragedy of coming out in Malcolm and Melissa's lovely home in Holland Park? Interesting story. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll have more next week. Thank you.